0: Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. We're going to walk our way through Chapter 4 of Philippians today. It's the last chapter of this book, only four chapters in Philippians, if you've not read it before. It's an amazing book. It's one of my favourite letters that Paul wrote. And uh, we're going to go into chapter 4. We've had Cain speak a couple of chapters, and we had Tim, I think, last week. Is that right? Tim, I heard, did a great job and uh, talking about humility and unity and the connection there. And uh, so today we're going to look at chapter 4, one of my favourite chapters, actually, so I'm glad I got this, this one. In the schedule and we're going to finish. It's going to do a little bit different today. Normally I preach and say here's five ways or here's three things or that kind of thing. Today I'm just going to do expository. We're just going to work verse by verse by verse by verse by verse straight through chapter four. We'll look at the verse and we'll say what does that mean? What's some observation? What's something about it that could apply to our life as myself or to the church? Does that sound good? A little bit less, a little bit different than the way I would normally speak but that's okay. And uh, as I said, I love this letter so much. And Philippians 4 is one of those, well, the whole book, but really Philippians 4 is really a love because it's this outpouring of love. Paul just has this incredible passion and love for the church. And as you read it, you can just sense that he is so full of godly advice and wisdom that's being given to these people firsthand, but it's because of his love for them. He's giving them wisdom and guidance because he's passionately in love with these people. These are not empty words. Paul fills his words with passion. And you can see that his heart for the people, as you read it, you'll start to feel his heart and his desire for them to live with contentment in God and with a God-given peace in their hearts, no matter what their circumstances are that they're facing in their life. I want to live like that. And I really sense that as Paul's sharing these words. These words flowed with this deep love and gratitude from the Apostle Paul to the church family. And so today as we finish up this series, I want to highlight as we go through several themes or thoughts that will help us understand what Paul's trying to say here in Philippians chapter 4. So let's remember who Paul's talking to here in the Philippians. The Philippian church was the first church that Paul established in Macedonia. The city of Philippi was the main city in that part of Macedonia. And Saint Paul, the apostle, he wrote this with affection from prison. He was in prison in Rome when he wrote these words. And he wrote it to these people that they, because these people had consistently supported Paul, they consistently loved Paul. They'd given him support, and he felt that connection for him, he felt that that love and that uh, encouragement that came from them as he went about his missionary efforts to go around and establishing churches. And so he writes this to give this affirmation to them, an affirmation of encouragement and joy for them, that they would feel his love and his affection and hope and and find peace from his words uh, as they would be encouraged to have godly living. So let's begin in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. My daughter's phoning me right now. I'll just turn my phone off. She's wondering, what are you doing, Dad? Okay, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. We'll just, as I said, we'll go verse by verse, okay? Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown... Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So Paul is beginning here by expressing this deep love for them. As I said, he's conveying his joy toward them and longing to be reunited with them. He wanted to be with them, but of course he's in prison. And he calls them his joy and his crown. I kind of think of as a father with my children. I find so much joy in them. I have a crown for them. I'm proud of my kids. I love my kids. That's the kind of love he had as their spiritual father. Paul was like their spiritual father, and he had so much joy. Isn't that amazing? The verse continues on with encouragement for them and a reminder to persevere in their faith and walking steadily in what they know is the truth. He says, Stand firm in the truth. And I'm reminded in other verses, uh, in other letters that Paul wrote, where Paul says, Stand firm. We know if you know Paul's journey, he went through so many different things of persecutions and attacks and and so on. And he encourages us all the time to stand firm. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he says, stand firm and be immovable. Be immovable in your faith. He says, stand firm and know that the work that you do for the Lord is not done in vain. It's never done in vain. He wants us to be a people who can stand firm. And if you know the kind of foundation that you're standing on, the foundation is that of Jesus Christ. And Paul calls it the solid rock. We stand firm on a solid rock of Jesus Christ. The Bible says he is the rock of our salvation. That's what we stand firm on, church. We don't stand on shifting sands. We're out in the world, as shifting sands. But you can stand firm on the truth. The Bible says he is the truth. He is the rock of our salvation, and I can stand firm and be confident and secure and have assurance of my salvation in Jesus. When everything else tries to pull me down, I can stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord, he says. Let's look at verse two two and three. It says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintish. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, guys. I haven't heard those names before. I've read them, but I don't know how they say them. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintish to be of the same mind in the Lord. To be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Right here, Paul is addressing... Something that's going on between these two ladies in the church, Eudodia and Sintish, and there were these women in the church who are having some kind of dispute, some kind of division, some kind of argument or something's going on. He's begging them to be unified in the Lord. And he's pleading with the companion Clement and others to help these women. Now, I think what he's doing here for us today is he's showing us how important unity is in the body of Christ, Last chapter, Tim, uh, last week in chapter 3, Tim spoke about unity and the importance of humility to obtain unity. How important do you think unity is in the church? Church? Unity is so important for us today. That's why we need to guard our hearts and keep in step with the spirit of unity. The Holy Spirit is called a spirit of unity. Unity. Is a spirit of unity and so I know that we've all come in this room today and we've all come from different backgrounds and different cultures and different preferences and different life experiences and different family upbringings and different various persuasions on worship and different interpretations of the scriptures and different baggage that we bring and different issues and different pains and problems that we face and we're all so different. We're all completely unique just like if everyone has a unique thumbprint. Every person here is so different. How is unity even possible, church? That's an impossibility. But Paul also knew how destructive division would be in the church. Remember, it was Jesus who said it in Luke eleven seventeen. He said, Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, any kingdom that is divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. And here at Creekside, we are part of the kingdom of God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. We are part of the kingdom of God. Jesus does not want this to be divided or ruined. He doesn't want this community of faith to divide against itself in any way. It must not divide. That is Satan's plan. Satan's plan is to steal and kill and destroy all of God's good work. But God's plan is to build with unity, and that's why the scripture even calls the Holy Spirit a spirit of unity, and it's that spirit that helps us overcome. And this is why Paul keeps saying "Step, stay in step with the spirit, stay in tune with the spirit, listen to the spirit, be filled with the spirit, walk in the fruit of the spirit, walk in love and unity. That's the spirit That's what the Spirit wants for us. And I know I've seen this. It's heartbreaking. And I believe Paul was talking here and probably feeling heartbreak. I know as a pastor, many times over the years I've seen division in the church. And it's painful because it's not God's plan. And I think this is what Paul knew—that would have an effect on other people too. And division and unity always affects other people. Not just the two ladies having the issue; it starts spreading, and then there's gossip and all these messages and undermining and pulling people down to make other people feel better. And it's just—it ruins God's good work. All the things He's trying to do, and we ruin it. And we cut ourselves off at the well. Satan pulls a rug out from under us. And I don't want to see us ever have that here at Creekside. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's stay focused and focused on the spirit of unity because it's just like cancer. It just spreads. And it spreads through gossip and resentment and builds hatred and all these sins. These things. Disunity is sinful. It brings sin into the church and it causes hurt. And it quickly needs to be forgiven, and things need to be resolved, and we need to be restored on the path of unity where the Spirit is leading us. Because that's what God wants to do. Amen. Okay, that's verse 3 and 4. Shall we go home now? <laughs> or we keep going? So, He's given us an example of unity, by the way, and the example He gave us is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the example of unity ultimately because he gave us grace. He forgave us. He didn't allow the division between God and us to exist. Jesus came and died for us and he forgave us of those sins and he brought us back and reconciled us back to be one with God. We are one with God. We are unified with God because unity is God's vision for our life. Unity is God's vision for the church. It means so much to him that he allowed his son Jesus to come and give his life for us and die on a cross. Let's have a look at verse 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now Paul He's taking this issue of disunity and the focus on these ladies that we're having there, and he's saying, okay, let's have a mind shift. It flows straight into this verse. It says, now rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Say what? Rejoice. Rejoice. Away from the problems. Start thinking differently. Get away from division. Start rejoicing in the Lord, it says. Change your mindset. Change your attitude. And Christians should have this. He says rejoice and rejoice again. He makes that point twice because he wants us to get it. He wants us to take delight and find satisfaction in walking with the Lord with a heart of rejoicing. And this is a mindset shift for us to have every day here, church. Every Sunday we get together. Every day we wake up. Imagine, imagine with me, if we started every day Every morning with these words, what our day would look like. We wake up and say, rejoice in the Lord, always. I tell myself, my soul, rejoice in the Lord, always. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord this morning. I rejoice in the Lord this evening. I'll rejoice in the Lord no matter my circumstances, whether i have been locked up in chains in prison. I will still rejoice in you. Imagine how our lives would be if we did this all day, every day, every moment of the day. Imagine how our world would see us if we rejoiced in the Lord. And Paul goes on to say that those who look upon us as followers of Christ, they need to see his influence in their lives. He needs, they need to see Christ in us, causing the desire, us to desire, and causing them to desire the Lord the same way because they see it in us. And he's saying, let your gentleness be evident to all. He's reminding us here that God is near to us and that our walk as Christians is not one that's to be done in secret, but evident to all. The world should see the godly virtues manifesting in our lives as evidence of Christ in our life. They should see that in and through us. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, I find this really interesting because I find a bit of an oxymoron in this one. Because he's saying it's a characteristic that we should have as gentleness. But I think that gentleness is normally very subdued in nature, very gentle by nature. It's not kind of one of those standout qualities that you think the world's going to see Christ. But the Christian should be so good at gentleness. Think about this. The Christian should be so good at gentleness that they see Christ in you because he is gentle and kind. Gentleness is a quality of Christ. It should be seen in the world. It should be a spotlight in a dark world which is not so gentle. Gentleness, it should be seen by the world and evident in our lives. Let's move on to verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Church, did you know that anxiety was mentioned earlier? Leone was up doing announcements around um, anxiety. We've got a thing on Monday night here around anxiety and youth and young people. Anxiety seems to be like everywhere, doesn't it? It's a thing that we seem to be facing more and more is talked about all the time and but you know that anxiety is not a new issue anxiety is not a new thing Paul talked about it back here in Philippians although it feels like nowadays it's so common there seems to be, be people suffering everywhere with it and you may as well and I've suffered with anxiety and in my lifetime as well and I've had times even in the past few years especially I've had those times where I've had to deal with anxiety and I've had to work out how to deal with it and I've had to get some counselling and support and, you know, I've dealt with anxiety. And sometimes it creeps up and rears its ugly head and I've got to be reminded of the method, reminded of the antidote to anxiety. I've got to remind myself of the truth which overcomes anxiety. I'm going to share that with you now because Paul did right here. I love these verses, my... Uh, these verses I hang on to regularly. Now, I've learned how to deal with anxiety because God taught me how to deal with anxiety. Not because of my own wisdom. And I love this verse here. So Paul's giving us this remedy. He reminds the church to pray instead of yielding to anxiety. Prayer is a method of communication between man and God, and we bring supplications. We bring our prayer needs, our support. We bring our burden to him with thanksgiving and gratitude. We start shifting our mindset into thankfulness and gratitude. And as we do that, it says, then the peace of God will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So we plead humbly to God in prayer, and in so doing it says God's peace is going to guard our hearts. God's peace is going to guard our minds. And I've learned this little saying, you may have heard it. When you're in a fix, look up Philippians 4.6. When you're in a fix, say it with me. When you're in a fix, look up Philippians 4.6. Even better, memorize it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. You start to turn from the problem and have a mind shift by replacing the issue with the truth. And the Bible says that He will pour out His peace when we do that. He's not going to pour out our peace unless we do that. This is this conditional? It's just not, God's just not pouring out his, he's saying bring your supplications, bring thanksgiving, have a mind shift and then the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I've learned that it is impossible to be anxious and to do this at the same time. So when you're having anxiety, do this. Okay, the next section, Philippians 4, 7. I feel like this just flows straight on. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Have you ever heard of this quoted before? Have you heard this quote? This kind of quotes on stickers, you see it around little things in people's homes up on the piano, or, you know, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful quote, it's a beautiful verse. It's one of the most frequently quoted, but it's often misapplied. It's missed out of context scripture in the Bible because it's not quoted in context. It's just voted quoted, the peace of God will guard you. But verse 7 is not a standalone verse. It ties directly into that previous verse, as I've just said. It's a conditional promise. It's conditional peace. And what I mean here is that these works, for this to happen, for these words to come true in your life, you have to do this first. You come to God with your supplications. You come to God with your prayer. You come to God with your thanksgiving. That mind shift, that coming and trusting and having faith in him, that shift starts to happen and then you take each situation to him and it's only then that the peace of God can go to work in your life. It can start to take the burden. It can start to move in your life. The peace of God will keep you, it will guard and protect you, it will protect your emotions, it will protect your mind, it will protect your body. That peace will keep and guard you. You can take courage in knowing that this is true because this is the word of God. God cares about your, your mind. He cares about these anxieties that you're struggling with. God cares about these things and he's given you the antidote to it. Paul is saying it. There is no need for you to be full of worry. There is no need for you to be full of stress. There is no need for you to be full of anxiety. Paul is giving you the antidote to it right here. Isn't that wonderful, Church. Now, you could choose to take this antidote, or you can walk out of here today and keep your anxieties. He's given you the way out. Let's move on to verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See the word think? Again, we're talking about the mind here. This verse goes directly on from verse 6 and 7. It flows straight out of it. He's saying, Let's the mind shift, remember? Don't stay in anxiety and worry and stress and problems, and negativity and problems that bring you down. So you I want to build you up, come with gratefulness, come with thankfulness, and then the peace of God which transcends all understanding will start to guard your heart and mind. Now start replacing that stuff with, with goodness and truth and beauty and whatever's lovely and admirable. Start filling your mind with such things because these things are praiseworthy and excellent. These things are going to build you up and make you more Christ-like and godly. These things are going to form you to be just like Jesus God saved you and he, he accepted you just the way you are when you have received Jesus into your life. He accepted you just the way you are with all these issues. But he doesn't want to leave you that way. The Bible says, be holy because I am holy. He's saying, I want you to go on a journey of being saved, not just be saved. I want you to become like Christ. I accepted you that way, but I didn't leave you that way. I want you to become just like my son, Jesus. And this is what he's saying here. Finally, brothers, Whatever's lovely, lovely, sorry, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Focus on those things. I remember when I was in Bible college back in the mid-90s. And there was a Bible college professor who spoke these words, and I quote because it just stuck in my mind, still can picture him saying these words. He said, the greatest thing that we can do in our life is think about God and all of the good things he's done for us. Just think about God. Imagine if we could think about God every day. Think about God every moment of every day. He is our Father in heaven. We love him and we think about him. We turn our mind toward him. Think about such things. And I agree with that. God loves us. He loves us. He is jealous for our worship. He loves us thinking about him. He loves us worshipping. He loves us being here every Sunday and focusing on him and thinking about his word and filling our minds with his truth. This is not an obligatory religious ritual that we do every Sunday with no meaning. We're here because our hearts are full. We want to think about him and be filled up with his presence and keep thinking about him. And This is a relationship that we have with our God. Do you agree? Yeah. His presence is what renews our mind. His presence in our life. I shared that scripture before. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there's pleasures evermore. His presence will renew our mind, and it's then his peace comes flooding in and changes us. It's true. This is all true. And here's what Paul's saying, and here's what I've experienced personally. The peace of God is not a cure-all for all the defeats and all that defeats and overpowers ungodly thinking. What it is, is a result of firstly thinking and focusing on the right things that then pulls the attention off those negative things and those surroundings that creates anxiety. We all know what that's like. And I want you to think of a circumstance right now that has created an anxiety even right now for you. Something that you're worried about. We all know what this is like. I want you to think about that for a moment. Think of a circumstance. Now, if we're consumed by that thing and it's covering all negativity in your life and it's pulling you down these negative thoughts and, you know, unbelievers dwell on this stuff too, just like believers, just the same. The only difference is that if we don't do what I'm telling you, we're going to suffer exactly the same as the way the world suffers with anxiety. But we're not in the world. We're in the world. We're not of the world. We're different. We have Jesus And Satan wants us to stay out there and be stuck in it. And that's not God's plan for you. But we have this antidote, as I've said. I want you to memorize Philippians 4, 6 to 8. Can you all memorize those words? Because this will help you for the rest of your life. If you want to have three verses that will help you for the rest of your life, memorize these three verses, okay? All right, let's move on. Verse 4, 9. And we're not going to get through the whole chapter, by the way. I could keep going next week. That's true. Let's go on to verse 4-9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Isn't that powerful? And the God of peace will be with you. There he is again, the God of peace. So here Paul is referring back to his own life again. He's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. They're pretty bold words, eh? He's always pointing us to follow Christ, follow Christ, follow Christ. But now he's saying, follow me. As I follow Christ, that's a pretty courageous, bold thing to say. In other words, he's saying, I'm living victoriously. I'm living in victory, and follow me, and I'll show you how. He's saying, the things that I'm teaching you right now, follow. Because this is what Jesus would say. He's saying, the way I'm conducting my life, do it because this is how Jesus would do it. He's saying the words that I'm saying, the way it's coming out of my mouth, with the love and, and, and the gentleness, the way it's coming out, talk like that. Speak like me, because I'm speaking like Jesus did. He's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Put it into Practice. I'm always inspired by Paul, the way he teaches, his conduct, his life. I'm inspired by how even in his trials, his peril, his temptations he faced, his struggles, his persecutions, his challenges, if you read about him, this constantly happening to him. The enemy was trying to destroy Paul all the time. He lived on the front line and he had a target on his back, church. But he said, even through all of this, he says to the church, Follow me as I follow Christ. He's learned a formula, inverted commas, a formula that invited the God of peace to be present in his life. No matter what was happening, he had the God of peace, he says here, The God of peace will be with you, just as he is with me. Isn't that powerful? And for us today, we can also follow this example in his teaching and his conduct and his words and have the God of peace to be with me and to be with you. No matter our circumstances, his teachings, his conduct will give us a way through. Paul was amazing in all these circumstances he had a way through. And Despite our circumstances that we face all the time, we face things. We can also show that we have this unique sense of God's peace in our life at all times. Did you know that? You can go through the the worst thing possible and you can still have the God of peace with you. So many times in life, we walk through a storm and it seems crazy the things we walk through. And I've learned that every single storm that we walk through, every single storm, that God is walking through that storm with me. And so often I pray, God, take me out of this storm. I can't bear this storm anymore. It's raging around me and my life is falling apart in this storm. I feel like I'm getting sucked up in this cyclone. And God is saying, I'm not taking you out of the storm. I'm walking through the storm. With you. And I want you to remember that, church, because in every storm there is an eye of the storm. It's the center of the storm. And in that center is absolute peace. Absolute peace can be found in the eye of every storm. And guess what that peace is? That peace is Jesus. And He is walking through the storm with you, and you can rest with Christ. In the storm, Paul understood it. Paul practiced it. Paul lived it. He walked through storm after storm after storm after storm. And yet he had the peace of God with him. I want to be like that church. Anyone else? We need it. I think we're going to stop at verse 9 today and we're going to have communion together. And we'll keep going next week. Uh, if I could have Belinda come, we're going to share communion. If, if you'd like to get your little communion elements ready, if you didn't get one coming in, please raise your hand. Gavin will run around with uh, extras and you can have one. We're going to do something very special in a moment as well. I'll wait until you've all got your elements there. I'm going to jump down to verse 23, which is the last verse of chapter 4. And let's read this verse together. Very quick one. You ready? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. What we're holding in our hands here is the grace of God. It represents the flesh of Jesus that was broken for you. It represents the blood of Jesus that was shed on a cross. The grace of God. It's undeserved favour. It's unmerited. It means that we couldn't earn it. It means that we did nothing to deserve it. The grace of God is a gift. God is holding out this gift of grace to you today. Okay? And as you eat this and drink this, you be remembered of the gift of what God gave you in Jesus, his son, his only son. We didn't deserve that, but we needed it. This is the only way to know God. And he's given us this. He says, remember me. This is the way to remember me. When you join together, he says, eat this and remember me. Drink this and remember me. He wants us to turn our minds back to him right now and remember what Jesus has done for you. So we take this bread and we remember that on the night before he was betrayed, Jesus held up the bread and he broke it and he said, eat this in remembrance of me. And then as they joined together in that last supper, he held up the cup and he said, This is my blood that was shed for you. Drink this and remember me.